Good day, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the DICAM Industries second quarter results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during this session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star then 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your host today, Steve Nelson, President and Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to thank you for attending this conference call to review our second quarter fiscal 2022 results. Going to slide two. During this call, we will be referring to a slide presentation which can be found on our website's Investor Center main page. Relevant slides will be identified by number throughout our presentation. Today, we have on the call Drew DeFerrari, our Chief Financial Officer, and Ryan Ernest, our General Counsel. Now I will turn the call over to Ryan Ernest. Thank you, Steve. All forward-looking statements made during this call are provided pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Forward-looking statements include all comments reflecting our expectations, assumptions, or beliefs about future events or performance that do not relate solely to historical periods. Forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, which may cause actual results to differ materially from our current projections, including those risks described in our annual report on Form 10-K, filed March 5, 2021, together with our other filings with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. We assume no obligation to update any forward-looking statements. Steve? Thanks, Ryan. Now moving to slide four in a review of our second quarter results. As we review our results, please note that in our comments today and in the accompanying slides, we reference certain non-GAAP measures. We refer you to the quarterly report section of our website for a reconciliation of these non-GAAP measures to their corresponding GAAP measures. To begin, I want to express my sincere thanks to our employees who have served our customers with real fortitude in difficult times over the last 18 months. Now for the quarter. Revenue was $787.6 million, an organic decrease of 4.4%. As we deployed 1 gigabit wireline networks, wireless wireline converged networks, and wireless networks, this quarter reflected an increase in demand from two of our top five customers. Gross margins were 17.29% of revenue, reflecting the continued impacts of the complexity of a large customer program, and revenue declines year over year with other large customers. General and administrative expenses were 8.2%, and all of these factors produced adjusted EBITDA of $73.8 million, or 9.4% of revenue, and adjusted earnings per share of $0.60 cents compared to earnings per share of $1.18 in the year-ago quarter. Liquidity was solid at $299.1 million, and operating cash flow was $17.3 million. During the quarter, we repurchased 631,638 shares for $50 million, and subsequent to the end of the second quarter, we received a two-year award for fiber construction in a number of states valued at approximately four to $500 million. Now going to slide five. Today, major industry participants are constructing or upgrading significant wireline networks across broad sections of the country. These wireline networks are generally designed to provision one gigabit network speeds to individual consumers and businesses, either directly or wirelessly using 5G technologies. 
Industry participants have stated their belief that a single high-capacity fiber network can most cost-effectively deliver services to both consumers and businesses, enabling multiple revenue streams from a single investment. This view is increasing the appetite for fiber deployments, and we believe that the industry effort to deploy high-capacity fiber networks continues to meaningfully broaden our industry's set of opportunities. Over the last year, six of our top 10 customers have announced substantial new plans for deployments of fiber to the home, totaling over 40 million passings. In fact, one key customer recently announced plans for a strategic divestiture, whose stated purpose is to increase fiber investment in both its divested and retained service territories. Increasing access to high-capacity telecommunications continues to be crucial to society especially in rural America. The wide and active participation in the FCC ARDOF auction augurs well for dramatically increased rural network investment. In addition, an increasing number of states are commencing initiatives that will provide funding for telecommunications networks separate from the FCC ARDOF program. We are providing program management, planning, engineering, and design, aerial, underground, and wireless construction and fulfillment services for one gigabit deployments. These services are being provided across the country in numerous geographic areas to multiple customers, including customers who have initiated broad fiber deployments as well as customers who have resumed broad deployments. These deployments include networks consisting entirely of wired network elements as well as converged wireless wireline multi-use networks. Fiber network deployment opportunities are increasing in rural America as new industry participants respond to emerging societal incentives. We continue to provide integrated planning, engineering and design, procurement and construction, and maintenance services to several industry participants. Macroeconomic effects and potential supply constraints may influence the near-term execution of some customer plans. Broad increases in demand for fiber optic cable and related equipment may impact delivery lead times in the short to intermediate term. In addition, the market for labor continues to tighten in regions around the country. It remains to be seen how extensive these conditions will be and how long they may persist. Furthermore, the automotive supply chain is currently challenged, particularly for the large truck chassis required for specialty equipment. As we contend with these factors, we remain confident that our scale and financial strength position us well to deliver valuable service to our customers. Moving to slide six. During the quarter, organic revenue decreased 4.4%. Our top five customers combined produced 65.7% of revenue, decreasing 18% organically. Demand increased for two of our top five customers. All other customers increased 39.9% organically. AT&T was our largest customer, 22.5% of total revenue, or $177.5 million. AT&T grew 31.9% organically. This was our second consecutive quarter of organic growth with AT&T. Revenue from Comcast was $121.7 million, or 15.5% of revenue. Comcast was DICOM's second largest customer. Lumen was our third largest customer, 12.1% of revenue, or $95.4 million. Verizon was our fourth largest customer, $90.8 million, or 11.5% of revenue. And finally, revenue from Frontier was 31.9 million or 4% of revenue. 
Frontier grew 161.4% organically and was a top five customer for the first time. This is the 10th consecutive quarter where all of our other customers in aggregate, excluding the top five customers, have grown organically. In fact, the 39.9% organic growth rate with these customers is the highest growth rate in at least nine years. Of note, fiber construction revenue from electric utilities was 51.6 million in the quarter, or 6.6% of total revenue. This activity increased organically 92.1% year over year. We have extended our geographic reach and expanded our program management and network planning services. In fact, over the last several years, we believe we have meaningfully increased the long-term value of our maintenance and operations business, a trend which we believe will parallel our deployment of one gigabit wireline direct and wireless wireline converged networks. As those deployments dramatically increase the amount of outside plant network that must be extended and maintained. Now going to slide seven. Backlog at the end of the second quarter was 5.895 billion versus 6.528 billion at the end of the April 2021 quarter, decreasing approximately 633 million. Of this backlog, approximately 2.655 billion is expected to be completed in the next 12 months. We continue to anticipate substantial future opportunities across a broad array of our customers. For Windstream, a construction and maintenance agreement in Kentucky, from AT&T, construction and maintenance agreements in Wisconsin and Ohio, for Comcast, a fulfillment agreement in for Washington, Illinois, Michigan, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, from Lumen, an engineering agreement for Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Arizona, Colorado, New Jersey, Virginia, and North Carolina. For DISH Network, a wireless construction agreement in North Carolina and South Carolina. From various electric utilities, fiber construction agreements in Missouri, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Georgia. And various rural fiber deployments in Wisconsin, Indiana, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Georgia. Headcount increased during the quarter to 14,674. Now I will turn the call over to Drew for his financial review and outlook. Thanks, Steve, and good morning, everyone. Going to slide eight. Contract revenues for Q2 were $787.6 million, a decrease of 4.4% compared to Q2 of last year. Adjusted EBITDA was $73.8 million, or 9.4% of revenue. Gross margins of 17.3% in Q2 decreased 285 basis points from the year-ago period. Gross margins were approximately 85 basis points lower than our expectations as revenue was lower than expected for several large customers, and this impacted our operating leverage. G&A expense was at 8.2% of revenue in line with Q2 21. Non-GAAP adjusted net income was 60 cents per share in Q2 22 compared to net income of $1.18 per share in Q2 21. The variance resulted from the after-tax decline in adjusted EBITDA, higher interest expense, and lower gains on asset sales, offset by lower stock-based compensation, depreciation, and amortization. Now going to slide nine. Our financial position and balance sheet remain strong. We ended the quarter with 500 million of senior unsecured notes, 350 million of term loan, no revolver borrowings, 
and 58.3 million principal amount of convertible notes. Cash and equivalents were 261.9 million at the end of Q2. 58.3 million is expected to be used to repay our convertible notes due September 2021. Liquidity was solid at 299.1 million at Q2. Our capital allocation prioritizes organic growth followed by opportunistic share repurchases and M&A within the context of our historical range of net leverage. Going to slide 10. Operating cash flows were 17.3 million in the quarter. Capital expenditures were 35.5 million during Q2, net of disposal proceeds, and gross capex was 36.7 million. During Q2, we repurchased 631,638 shares of our common stock at an average price of $79.16 per share for $50 million. As of the end of Q2, we have a remaining authorization of $100 million for share repurchases through August 2022. The combined DSOs of accounts receivable and net contract assets were at 125 days, an improvement of three days sequentially from Q1 22. Now going to slide 11. For Q3 2022, the company expects contract revenues in line as compared to Q3 21 and non-GAAP adjusted EBITDA as a percentage of contract revenues to decrease compared to Q3 21. We expect year-over-year gross margin decline of approximately 125 basis points and G&A increase of approximately 50 basis points. We expect approximately $8.8 million of non-GAAP adjusted interest expense and $0.3 million for the amortization of the debt discount on convertible notes for total interest expense of approximately $9.1 million during Q3. We expect a non-GAAP effective income tax rate of approximately 27% and diluted shares of $30.6 million. Now I will turn the call back to Steve. Thanks, Drew. Moving to slide 12. Within a recovering economy, we experienced solid activity and capitalized on our significant strengths. First and foremost, we maintain significant customer presence throughout our markets. We are encouraged with the emerging breadth in our business. Our extensive market presence has allowed us to be at the forefront of evolving industry opportunities. Telephone companies are deploying fiber to the home to enable one gigabit high-speed connections. Increasingly, rural electric utilities are doing the same. Cable operators are deploying fiber to small and medium businesses and enterprises. A portion of these deployments are in anticipation of the customer sales process. Deployments to expand capacity as well as new build opportunities are underway. Dramatically increased speeds to consumers are being provisioned and consumer data usage is growing, particularly upstream. Wireless construction activity in support of newly available spectrum bands is beginning and expected to increase next year. Customers are consolidating supply chains, creating opportunities for market share growth, and increasing the long-term value of our maintenance and operations business. As our nation and industry continue to contend with the COVID-19 pandemic, we remain encouraged that a growing number of our customers are committed to multi-year capital spending initiatives. We are confident in our strategies, the prospects for our company, the capabilities of our dedicated employees, and the experience of our management team. Now, operator, we will open the call for questions. 
Thank you. As a reminder, if you have a question at this time, please press star then 1. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. And it looks like our first question is going to come from the line of Adam Solomer with Thompson Davis. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Adam. Steve, how much did the large customer program negatively impact margins in Q2, and what's your thought on when that begins to ease? Yeah, so if, if you look at controlling for that program's impact on margins, um, the EBITDA margin would have been in line as it has been in other periods with the long-term average. Uh, and I would say just an additional color that some of the new programs were, were net positives to that and some of the uh, customers who, who seemed to be a little bit slower uh, were a little bit of drag, but the central tendency was all, all around that long-term average controlling for that program. And then just on the second part of that, when, when do you think that the headwind begins to ease? Well, we, we continue to work down and close out the project, the, the, the balance year over year uh, that we're working on closing out is down about 25%. The amount of cash that came in sequentially uh, reduced it, you know, in excess of $25 million. So I think we continue to, to make progress, and, and we hope that that progress will, will continue, if not accelerate, through the balance of the fiscal year. Okay, and then the the 400 to 500 million fiber award. Can you tell us if that was from an MSO or from a telco customer? And then, so, so how, how have, do you think we'll about to, the, the we'll revenue? We'll have more to say about it on, on the next call, but I would say we were encouraged by the breadth of the award geographically. Okay, I'll turn it over. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Brent Fulman with DA Davidson. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks. Good morning, Steve. Drew. Good. Good morning, Brent. Um, hey, Steve. Some of the the supply and labor constraints discussed last quarter, and I think you noted it again in this call. I mean, what what impact do you think that's having on the ramp and deployment right now? So I think it's as we talked about uh, on the last call, Brent. I mean, clearly we're able to grow the business, so we're encouraged with AT and T growing, you know, in excess of thirty one percent total. But probably the bit the more interesting number, Brent, is that on the wireline side of the business, it was in excess of 75% year-over-year organically. So we're certainly able to, to grow the business, uh, grew the business with Frontier. But I would say that there have, you know, the, that rate of growth might have been even higher absent the, the constraints. I think the other thing that, that was more impactful towards the end of the quarter was clearly the, the Delta variant has had an impact on the number of people that we've had in quarantine. Uh, and unlike the last peak during the winter when we weren't all that busy, we're busier now. And so, you know, that certainly had some impact on what we were able to deliver uh, and certainly had some impact on cost with respect to overtime. Okay, that, that's helpful. And, and Steve, Lumen was, I think, was expected to slow, but was a little more than I would have expected. Can you just talk about what you're seeing with that customer? So, so with respect to Lumen, yeah, yeah, sure that's I, right. yeah. With, with respect to Lumen, so so clearly uh, after the end of our quarter, uh, they they announced strategic divestiture of a, a number of their states, primarily east of the Mississippi. 
uh, they represent about a quarter of the, of the uh, revenue that we have with that customer. And so, uh, you know, it was a little bit slow. I think in general, we're, we're really encouraged by uh, that transaction because I think, as they said, uh, they've identified, you know, kind of an incremental 12 to 13 million homes of potential uh, for fiber to the home in the, in the service territory they're retaining. And Apollo has spoken that the purpose of the transaction was to invest in fiber uh, in the 20 states that they're acquiring. So I think, you know, may have impacted some of the slowness in the business in the first half of the year with the benefit of, of the news and hindsight, um, but certainly encouraging um, as to what the transaction can uh, uh, untap um, or unleash uh, from the rest of the business. Okay. Um, and lastly, Steve, do you think Verizon continues to shrink as a percentage of the business over the near term? I mean, I don't see any new award activity or extensions at least listed in the presentation here. Yeah, I, I think, Brent, we continue to work through closing out programs. Um, I think there may be some opportunities as they get into another budget year, uh, but we'll just have to see. Um, uh, recently, they made comments which were encouraging about revisiting some of their fiber uh, build plans in, in their existing ILEC service territory, so we'll just have to see how they play out. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Eric Lupchow with Wells Fargo. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks for taking the question. Um, so, Steve, on, on the there's been some concerns about labor cost inflation just generally in the industry. So maybe you talk through like any contractual provisions you have uh, with your customers to kind of help pass through some of those higher labor expenses and, and kind of what impact that could have on your margins if you've seen any of that yet or if there's any uh, implied in, in your guidance for the October quarter. Right. So I, I think within the existing book of business, there are some agreements we have that have annual increases. Some of those are index related or they're just a negotiated amount. There are others um, where, where there are, you know, the opportunity is on the renewal of the agreement. Um, I, I think where it's more important that we're focused on is to be careful about how we think about the forward cost curve. And so that as we sign up for new business, uh, which is of real importance to our customers, that we're in a position to be able to successfully supply the labor that they need. And I, I think we've been able to do that so far, but but we're going to continue to work hard on that. Uh, we, we've been through these cycles before. This one may be a little more pronounced than what I've seen before, but it's always a combination of provide valuable service and, and, and make sure that as you commit resources to incremental opportunity that you get the price right. Great, right. I, I guess related to that, Steve, I mean, in, in other periods of, of labor market tightness like this, do you, do you see any opportunities to actually – increase your share as some of your larger customers may be less likely or less able to, to insource um, some of their, their fiber deployments? You know, historically, Eric, insourcing has not been a, a big factor in the business. So um, I, I, don't, I don't know that we've seen that in prior periods. Um, I, I do think that it, it certainly um, gives every incentive to continue to focus on building a broad labor pool through outsourcing. 
um, where we can reach across the country. I mean, we have one program right now where we move resources literally from one corner of the country to the other um, be, because that was where the where the opportunity was, to, and we and we had the ability to shift those resources. Great. And then just one more for me, Steve. I I might have missed what you said on the wireless business, but I was interested. It looks like you got a dish award. Um, wondering if you're seeing, you know, more broad opportunities within wireless today, whether that's, you know, C-band deployments, uh, T-Mobile's network integration, or, or the DISH network bill. Just any color on what you're seeing uh, from the wireless side of the business would be helpful. Yeah, I think our wireless business in total, Eric, was still down year over year. Um, uh, and, you know, I think that reflects this, what I'll call the gathering phase for C-band deployments primarily. Uh, we, we have received something in excess of 500 sites that are in, in site acquisition right now for C-band deployments. And I think, as you know, probably better as well as we do, um, as we look into 22 and 23, those C-band deployments will accelerate. Um, have to have to understand the geography and when, when the which band is where and when it clears. Uh, but clearly, I think the entire entire wireless industry is looking ahead to to a better 22. Hey, great. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of John Lopez with Vertical Group. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks very much. Good morning, guys. Um, I had a couple quick ones if I could. The first one, I just wanted to clarify on the guidance. I think a year ago there was like eight or nine million bucks of, of storm work. So I think, Drew, you're saying nominal contract revenue is flat, so organically, you know, theoretically up a bit year on year. Is that the right way to think about those things? Yeah, John. This is Drew. Um, that's what we that, that's what we have in the slide and spoke of. Yeah, and the other thing, John, is in the in the current guidance for this October quarter, we have not factored in any storm work. It, it's just too early uh, to see the consequences of this Hurricane Ida, uh, wh whether there'll be you know some amount in there. So so Drew's guidance does not include in accordance with how we've always done it. We we have no storm in there for the current quarter. Gotcha. Helpful. Second thing, I'm wondering if you could spin back. I think a couple of questions ago, you mentioned something about the Verizon contract, and there was a down 25% reference. That that reference is to the sort of troubled portion of that business, down 25 year on year in fiscal Q2. Do I have those parts right? No, no John. That was with respect okay. to the the working capital tied up in the program. That, that we've continued to be able to to get working capital back out of that program. We hope that that actually picks up through the balance of this fiscal year. So it's 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 moving in the right direction. We'd all like it to move more quickly, but but we are continuing to make progress on the closeout. Okay, I gotcha. And then, sorry, the last one, I, I, I want to ask my obligatory backlog question. So the your 12-month your, uh, backlog has now increased year on year for three consecutive quarters and sort of high single digits each of the last two. Um, your greater than 12-month backlog is going the opposite direction. Why, why is that? So, so, John, as we talked about before, the total backlog is a function of the duration of the agreements and where we are in these long-term agreements. And, and so you go through renewal cycles, and if you're in the last year of a, of a renewal cycle on a five-year agreement, right, you have 12 months backlog, but you don't have anything in addition for, for total. 
the other thing I would say, as we talked about last quarter, is particularly on this rural work, it tends to be uh, the projects are quite large, but they tend to be awarded contractually in phases. So you, you might, you know, just illustrative numbers, you might have a $100 million project, but you never have more than $10 million in backlog as you work through phase to phase to phase. So I just think it's a it, it's just structurally a little bit different um, environment than what we've seen um, from from other portions of the business. Got it. Okay, understood. Thanks very much. Thank you. And as a reminder, if you have a question at this time, please press star then one. And our next question comes from the line of Noel Diltz with Stiefel. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, hi, good morning, Stephen Drew. Um, good morning. Good morning. I just wanted to start with a question on um, AT&T. You know, at a recent conference they talked about um, they kind of lowered their planned um, home, fiber home passings uh, to two and a half from three million and this year, and they did talk a bit about fiber availability um, being a factor. That's not necess necessarily something that we're hearing broadly across the industry and didn't seem to be you know, something that you cited. So is that a, con a concern um, as, it as it relates to, again, the pace of the build-out, um, fiber availability, or um, not really something you're seeing? So I, I think as we said in our comments, Noel, that there are certainly some extended lead times around fiber. So customers mm -hmm. are having to plan farther ahead, um, although I don't think that was the case in AT&T's um, situation. So, mm -hmm. so we talked about in our comments about some potential extended lead times. I, I think to keep the AT&T um, comment uh, in, in perspective, I mean, two and a half million homes in a year from a year where they were essentially uh, doing very little. I think it's been an aggressive ramp. I think they continue to, to grow. Um, and uh, as you can see in our numbers, the business has, has grown nicely year over year. Might have grown, grown a little bit more with a little more fiber. But I think we, we're pleased um, with our progress with AT&T. And, you know, from the outside looking in, I'm impressed with the, with the sheer magnitude of their ambition to grow this year. Right. Okay. Got it. Um, and then second, you mentioned when, when in your discussion about margin that some of the uh, new work is, is a positive margin contribution. Um, I'm just curious, you know, do you think at this point industry participants are kind of recognizing what's coming in terms of, you know, the work next year and, and RDOF coming in, potential stimulus? Are, are we at a point now where these participants are, are looking to secure capacity earlier? and are willing to pay more for, you know, capacity, uh, or do you think we're still, you know, getting to that point? Yeah, look, Noel, we, we work for a lot of smart customers. They're always taking in market inputs. They have lots of suppliers beyond us, so they're forming their own view of where the market's going. Um, I, I think what was probably more important than kind of the supply-demand um, dynamic in the industry for our customers is that they're launching a number of really strategic initiatives. And so when you have a strategic initiative that extends over five, six, seven, eight years, I think you take a very intentional approach to how you secure capacity to get the work done. Um, so so I, I think it's, it's really, uh, I, I think customers are really driven by how strategic um, services are in support of their programs as much as trying to kind of 
figure out, you know, what what's it going to cost next Tuesday. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Alex Regal with B. Riley. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, Stephen Drew. Hey, hey, Alex. Steve, can we come back to sort of the uh, equipment availability and more about sort of the equipment that you use to provide the services and that being yellow equipment and whatnot, rolling stock? Um, are you seeing, being clearly one of the largest out there in the marketplace, are you seeing opportunities where you have fleet that's available that could possibly take advantage of market share opportunities in the foreseeable future? You know, I think that's always a possibility, Alex. I mean, we have strong and long-term relationships with our suppliers. We're in dialogue with them all the time. You know, this, this chip situation is a challenge for everybody. Um, I, I think um, there are certainly opportunities given the size of our fleet to extend the operating lives, and that, that can be meaningful in terms of, of incremental capacity. Uh, I think there are financial opportunities. I mean, we got a call about a month ago when there, we had a supplier that had a, an order that was canceled by somebody else, and we were their first call, and we took all 14 dev uh, aerial devices. So I, I think there are opportunities forced to do that, but I, you know, I don't want to diminish, which is why we put it in the comments. I mean, this, this, this constraints on the automotive supply chain are real. Um, and, uh, and so we've just got to be aware of those as we plan the business. And then coming back to, uh, the hurricane that's sort of working its way through the United States right now, can you remind us, um, how that, initially hurts your business and then possibly offers you opportunities. And would you anticipate sort of all the negatives and positives to uh, offset each other in this current quarter, or do you think there could be uh, extended uh, negatives and positives that stretch into the future quarters? Yeah, Alex, I think it's too early for us to tell with respect to anything beyond the October quarter. Um, you know, communications is always um, the, the restoration effort around communications is, is is not first and foremost when you have uh, electricity that's out for the the area of the size of New Orleans and the surrounding areas. Um, so I, I think it's a little bit too early to tell. I would say generally, and we've done lots of storm work here over the over the years. Uh, it, it it may provide a benefit in terms of providing restoration services, but it also has um, some, some negative effects in the rest of the business, and all things being equal, we'd have just soon there not be any hurricanes or tornadoes or floods. Um, that'd be fine by us. Thank you very much. Thank you. And again, if you have a question at this time, please press star then one. And our next question comes from the line of Alan Marini with Slane Lake Asset Management. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks. Um, Steve, in, re in response to the question about backlog, you talked about uh, possibly being in the last year of some of your contracts, but you didn't say that you were. Is that the reason why backlog hasn't grown more, or do you expect more deliver more uh, awards in the next number of months that are you're at the end of contracts? I mean, Alan, that was an illustrative comment that says there's a portfolio of agreements that go through movements in duration. 
and you know, as you, you, it may not be the last year of agreement, you, you may have signed a five-year agreement, and after you booked that initial backlog, and, and have been through two years of it, it's going to be down 40%, but that doesn't indicate what the operating run rates are going forward. So it, it, it's more of a kind of a technical observation than it is anything about the actual uh, portfolio. No, I understand what it is, but I'm just saying you guys are buying back stock. You're, you must, you're at the bottom of a margin cycle for years, it seems like, or a new bottom. So I'm just saying it seems like, and all the indications we're getting from customers are that in the next few years they're going to spend, whether that takes a while for them to get started or not, depending on an infrastructure bill or RDOF or whatever it is, or closing of, a, of private equity deals, uh, it is what it is in terms of timing. My question is, since you know what your backlog portfolio looks like, do you guys feel that you have substantial awards coming in the next 12, 18 months based on the contracts that you have? Yeah, so, Alan, I wouldn't necessarily focus with the contracts we have, but I think the contracts and prospects. So you, you mentioned the share repurchase. We did buy $50 million worth of stock in the quarter, but I can tell you as we got through the quarter, there were a number of substantial organic growth opportunities that emerged, and, and from a capital allocation perspective, we always focus on making sure that we can meet customer needs and new growth opportunities. And so we throttled back on the share repurchase because as, as we saw these opportunities emerge, we want to make sure that we're in a great financial position, which we are, um, to take advantage of them. Great. And then on CapEx, can you talk about what uh, – maybe I missed it. What's your guidance for this year in CapEx, uh, Drew? Has that changed? Yeah, it, it hasn't changed since last quarter, Alan. It's 105 to $125 million net. And, and we did take in about $36 million, uh, gross CapEx in the quarter. Okay. And then it's a strange question, but it seems like used car prices and obviously F-150 prices are really high. I know that's a good portion of some of your, uh, some of your vehicle fleet, and yet other income for you guys was really low. Do you have a sense of where that's going to be? Did you not sell as much fleet because there were shortages? Can you just talk about where you see that line item? I mean, it's, it's not an operational line item, so I know it's impacted your earnings a bit this year, but, uh, you know, I'd rather see your business grow than that line necessarily move one way or the other. Yeah, we, as we said earlier, Alan, we've been really prudent about uh, making sure that we keep uh, operating assets because as, as the supply chain has been constrained, again, we want to be able to, to, to grow when opportunities present themselves. And so I, I don't expect that we'll have a, an active disposal program. We, if it, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a related loop, right? If we could get new assets, we'd sell more, but then the prices wouldn't be as high in the, in the used market. Okay. And then one more question, if I can, just the bigger picture in terms of uh, the infrastructure bill as it relates to your business. Are you worried that, in general, guys may push off some spending until the bill is passed and the effects come in uh, because they want to take advantage of government money and matching money and others as opposed to spending privately? So it's an interesting question, Alan, and it's one that we can really only speculate about. But I would say there's really been um, a couple of effects that, that we could speculate about. I mean, one is remember that the infrastructure money is for unserved and underserved areas. And so to the extent that we have customers that are, are incumbents in those areas 
and they have plans to upgrade um, the capacity of the networks, I think, if anything, that the, the prospect of, of government funding in those areas may encourage them to go faster so that as the broadband mapping works out, that the areas that they serve no longer fall in the area that's eligible um, for, for government funding. So, so it, actually, I would think it, it the other way. I think, on the other hand, there, there are a number of statewide programs um, that are operating independent of the infrastructure bill. And so, regardless of whether it passes or in what form, um, we've seen a number of announcements of substantial uh, sums at the state level. So, for example, in California about a month ago or six weeks ago, um, they, they, they passed a law, so it is a law that they're going to fund $3.25 in middle mile uh, network construction and then another billion or two for last mile construction. So, if you, you know, if you think about it, in total in California, that's call it $5 billion. That state alone is almost as much as what the federal stimulus was in 2009. So, there's a lot of state level programs around the country that I think our customers will be taking advantage of, or in the case of California, it's actually an independent new entity. Great, thank you. Thank you, and our next question comes from the line of Don Lopez with Vertical Group. Your line is open, please go ahead. Hey, thanks very much, sorry, I had two quick follow-ups. The first one is just, Drew, can you give us a sense for um, the gross margin uh, versus a year ago, you're talking down like 100, 125 basis points. It feels like a flattish or say sequentially. So, like, what what are the factors year on year that are driving that? Yeah, John, I, I think you know in part that's going to be fuel driven. So if you look back at where the price of gas was a year ago, that certainly ticked up some. Um, and then it's really as we talked about last quarter, there's certain customers that have spent less this year than last year. Gotcha. Okay, that helps. And and then um, Steve, the the um, like customer who remains unnamed um, has kind of been, you know, hovering at or above twenty million dollars here for a couple quarters. That that hasn't happened, I think, if we have our numbers right, since like two thousand and fifteen, two thousand and sixteen. Um, is there anything you can tell us about sustainability or visibility into that activity? I, I think John, it's just illustrative of the of the the, the amount of interest. Uh, in deploying fiber networks and the amount of capital that's available um, across a whole number of suppliers to do it. I mean, th there's an alignment um, in the industry around fiber to the home um, that we've never seen. So, for example, if you think about what we mentioned in our comments in the slides, that we had six of our top ten customers just in the last year um, initiate plans for over 40 million homes of fiber to the home, I think, uh, and you may have the exact number, but I think the approximate number that's been built kind of industry life to date is in the low 40s. So you, so you have plans now to double what's been done over the last 17 years, and it won't, you know, their plans are not to take 17 years to do the next tranche. So it's, it's uh, I, I think it's more just illustrative of, of the appetite um, for companies and capital to invest in fiber to the home. Gotcha. Okay. Really helpful. Thanks, guys. 
Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Alex Dwyer with KeyBank Capital. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. This is Alex on for Sean. Uh, thanks for taking our questions. Hey, Alex. Hey. Um, so, so six of the top ten customers have new fiber build plans, $40 million past planned. Uh, uh, firstly, how does this, does this include Lumen? And, and how would you compare this level of activity planned over the next five years to what you saw over the past five years? Some, some cont- context there would be helpful. Yeah, I think, Alex, as I just said on the last call, I mean, another, one way to think about it is that the plans, the announced plans are, are approximately equal to what the entire industry has built since life to date, which when it started in 2003, 2004. Um, so that's one way to think about it. And, and yes, you know, Lumen provided an estimate of, of what they thought was addressable by fiber. They're working on the plan. We don't, you know, we're not going to say how, how big it is eventually or how long, but certainly they talked about that. It does not include any impact um, from, the, from the folks that they're divesting to because that's yet to, to be fleshed out. But, uh, I mean, there, there's other research out there that, might get you to even a bigger number than 40 million, but but that's what we could uh, that's what we could support directly. Very helpful. And, and secondly, uh, new bookings were light in 2Q. Was something pulled out of backlog, or was this all just due to timing? It, it, it's it's just due to timing. I mean, we it, it, the summer months and the increase in the Delta variant uh, just what we just didn't see the the number of awards. Um, but summer is not typically a time where we see a lot of those anyway. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm showing no further questions at this time, and I would like to turn the conference back over to Steve Nelson for any further remarks. Well, we thanks everybody for their participation on the call. Just before we go, Drew had a couple of other statistics to share. Sure. So for the customer split, Telco was at 66.6%. Cable was at 22%. Facility locating was at 8.3%, and electrical and other was at 3.1%. And wireless drew was about six and a half, seven percent of the of the total. Correct. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for your time and attendance, and we'll talk to you again just before Thanksgiving. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.